Oh, bloody marvelous. Bird like. Weekly. Yes, hello and welcome to Birdlike Weekly, another uh, remote edition, TK, and you've just had lunch, as I understand it. Yes, Jack, I've just had a, um, I'm going to say 12, probably 12, oh no, they were, they were rather large, probably about eight um, Nepalese Momo, for anyone that doesn't know, Momo's basically just like a Nepalese dumpling. But the inner filling has a kind of curry taste to it. So it doesn't have your classic chivey, garlicky taste that you get in like a in a Chinese dumpling. But yeah, anyway, came in a nice plastic container um, that you'd usually get from a takeaway shop. I believe Dad got them from uh, Camps here, as I like to call it, Little Korea. And uh, it had this... It, let me just say straight off the bat, Momo, they're not generally spicy. But, well, I mean, they can be, but then they're not generally. And this one was extremely spicy because it had this red, I'm going to assume tomato-based chili, stewed chili sauce over the top with different colored chilies in it. You could see green and, and yellow and and red. My God, it was hot, but it was really tasty. It was really tasty. Um, really woke me up. Really woke me up, just brought me into the day, so that's good. Yeah, a number of um, sort of ancillary benefits to chili. Another one is the clearing of the nose when you've got a cold. Oh, yeah, I've been blowing my nose and now I feel uh, I feel like a new man. Yeah, a good, you know, I mean, a good hot curry, um, be it Nepalese or otherwise, often, uh, often clears you out like that. You've obviously had the benefit of eating mm. a bit of Nepalese food given that you... Um, you spend a bit of time in Rockdale, TK, one of the great Nepalese hubs. I do. One Little of my Catman one do, of the venues I work at. Yes, they do. Yeah. I is in Rockdale. And uh, you'll be disappointed to know, Jack, for the listeners, I um during the last six months, mo- most of it we've been fortunate to be in lockdown, but the pub I work at in Rockdale has been under renovation. So it's all it's all jazzed up. It's all it's got all the bells and whistles on it now. It's all brand new. Um, and we went in for a little tour yesterday and it's actually really impressive. Like, it, it's really nice. Um, Did you recognise it? Well, I recognised it as the building from the outside. I knew it was the building I mm-hmm. work in. So, you know. But no, yeah, I recognised it um, in the sense that everything's still in the same place that it was, but everything's new. Like, there's a new but Like, every like the wall and the floor and the, like the interior is completely refurbished. Does it look great? New stuff, but looks fantastic. It looks really good. It's got a 1920s theme, uh, Art Deco theme. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say that um, this particular establishment probably needed a, a do-up, I guess you could call it. Yeah, look, it, it, it had a kind of confused vibe that it, it looks like it hadn't really been done up since the 80s, but I think it had had its latest do-up in the, in the early 2000s, but it was kind of scattered around. Like you had... You had newer kind of uh, TVs and machines, whereas the carpet was like stained and the walls were painted, you know, offensive colours that you would only see in the 1980s. And um, it just didn't know what it was. I remember my boss saying that, that it, it just, it was a pub that didn't know what its identity was. And so the design they've gone back to is the original 1920s design the 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 art deco design um and they've gone back to the original name which is hotel rockdale and it really works because it goes with the facade of the outside of the building now and it looks really great um and going off what we were saying before about curries jack you'll be disappointed to hear that reggie the chef is not returning that is that's really difficult for me to actually hear Mm. um because as I've often, I think I've said on this podcast a number of times, the man makes the best goddamn lamb curry I've ever tasted. Um, it's in that sort of, it's almost like one of those Sri Lankan curries, a bit like one of the ones I made you um, mm. fairly recently. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming it's some sort of Fiji Indian influence. But yeah, that's a that's a shame to hear he's moving on from the establishment. Well, he'd been there for about fifteen years, and he he. Um He's working in a he, he runs a cafe now, I heard, and apparently he's really enjoying that. So that's why he's decided not to come back. Serial punter. Oh, serial punter. I mean that's yeah. I think why it suited him working in a pub because he could just you know, walk 
walk five meters and he'd be standing there right in front of the TAB. So mm. that's the dream if you're a, if you're a chef that likes punting. Well, I think if you're a pub chef specifically who has a mm. a certain affinity to the punt and you need a little bit of time to really get in the groove and do that. Um, yeah. Certainly there were some slower hours, no doubt. Mm. But yeah, there you go. Internal do-ups. It's nice. Good to hear it. Spicy See, food. Well, I don't know how we got there from spicy food, but there you are. Well, because because I was thinking about I was thinking about the lamb curry, Jack. Of course. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Speaking of spicy food, TK, um, not necessarily this is on, on a spicy note, but um what are your thoughts on <sighs> What are your thoughts on slightly unseasoned food? What I'm getting at here is that I just had a, I just had a rump as part of the still in hotel quarantine, as uh, mm. the loyal listener would know. Still in hotel quarantine, day twelve today, I believe. So very much nearing the the end. But I just had a rump for lunch, and it was a good cut. It was a nice enough piece. Let's call it two fifty, three hundred grams. Let's say three hundred grams, honestly. Um, came with a mash. It was it was good. Um, well, like nicely cooked, good flavour on it, but just like criminally, un- criminally under seasoned, like nowhere near enough salt. Like a like a thick mm. piece of beef like that needs to be salted to fucking death. It does, and yeah. they don't provide you with any additional salt. So I mean, I could ring up and ask for it, but by the time it gets here, the meat's cold, and it's just you know, I just I don't understand why people still like. You know, a chef has prepared that in the hotel kitchen. Why are we still eating unseasoned food in 2021, Tika? It's one of the, it's one of life's great mysteries. It's dumb. It's dumb. I mean, you could argue that because you you're making it so that anyone can eat it, so someone who doesn't like salt mightn't. Uh, yeah, but who doesn't like salt? It. Well, it's exactly. such a straw man argument, and also. And also, salt doesn't have a flavour. Salt just intensifies flavours. It just mm. intensifies whatever you put it on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, at least provide a little salt on the side, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, as, as you said, a thick piece of meat um, needs a big coating of salt because uh, so it can kind of get into the centre there. Otherwise, you're well, just that's left it. with a bland that's piece it. of uh, of, of cattle, you know. And the other thing to consider is the fact that on a thicker piece of meat, um, okay, yeah, if you're not going to brine the thing, it's unlikely to sort of penetrate the surface, if you will. Mm. Um, but once you put that hard sear on it, TK, and you you slice it up, I'll go in then once I've exposed the surface as I'm eating it, I'll probably go in with another little sprinkling of like a good rock salt. Mm. Um, I like a little bit. bit of flaky salt after I've actually cut it open, as on top of the fucking salt you gave it for the sear. So, mm. salt an essential for mine, an absolute essential, not one that you can go past in the kitchen. No, agreed, agreed. Um, so, the second week of, of, of quarantine, generally, how have you enjoyed your food? Look, as I've said, um, as I said on last week's episode, and I've kind of said to you a couple of times, I have generally found the food to be of an acceptable quality. Um, my gripe, you know, and listeners would know I'm I'm one for a gripe. My one gripe remains, and I, I said this to Tay the other day. The as you know, Tika, I'm a man of savoury inclinations when it comes to food. I'll take um, a steak or a schnitzel over a piece of cake any day of the week. I like I like my savoury food. I like it hot yeah. and salty. That's not to say I don't enjoy a dessert. However, I feel as if the ratio of sweets to savoury at this particular establishment is off um, and right. in need of some refinement. And what I mean by that, TK, is to give you an example, every day you get your three meals, your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I find most of the meals, the actual me- main part of the meal, whether it's a you know, whether it's a curry or a pasta or a chicken dish is or a fish dish is good. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is quite nice. Yeah, this is good. But then it's just that little bit too small. And it's followed up without question all three meals of the day with some, like, deli-style dessert. Like, like real good, like cafeteria-style chocolate <laughs> mud cake or vanilla slice or, you know... Pavlova, and it's like I, I'm. It's nice, 
But nobody needs three fucking cakes a day. Nobody needs three portions of pudding a day after all three meals. Like I'd rather, like the other night, for example, we had a. Um, I think you'll find it's because the desserts are little cheaper green, to make. It was like a green. I guess so. Yeah, it was a green Thai curry, coconut cream, you know the kind, chicken. Yeah. And I remember feeling at the end of it like, God, give me another one of those. I don't need this banana pudding that I'm about to turn on to. Mm. I'd, I'd rather just... Because I'll tell you why, TK. Because I had a vegan carrot cake for lunch and I had a fucking raspberry Danish after breakfast. I don't need three desserts. Good yeah, as the Freons no here are. Um, now, you could you could very well turn around and say, well, Jack, you have the power not to eat those three desserts. Put two of them in the bin. Have one. Have two. Um, but I feel like the trap you're you're sucked into, TK, is a bit like how we spoke about with plain food, how you don't want that bread roll, but you eat it to satiate yourself. Yeah. I don't want that caramel slice, but it's like, well, it's there, and I'm still a bit hungry, so I'll eat it. Yeah. But I'm, look, not, I'm, I'm not particularly with you there. I feel like anything you put in front of me, I'll eat it. doesn't matter what kind of meal category it comes under. If I'm still hungry, I'll, I'm, I'm fine with digging into dessert. No, that's what I just said, though. That's what that's what I just said. If I'm hungry, yeah, I, know, I have to I, eat it. Yeah, but I have no issues with it like you do. Oh, like, I just think, I don't think any human being needs three desserts a day. I mean, you and I come from a household where we didn't really, we weren't really raised on dessert as a staple anyway. I know no. a lot of families had dessert after dinner like seven nights a week, whereas mm. we would maybe have it one night a week. There might be a bit yeah. of pie and ice cream or something after dinner. But I, I have just personally found the unrelenting desserts, the, um, you know, persistent sweets to be a little bit overkill. And particularly given that I received a little care package earlier in the week that, um, you know, had some chalky and um, some other little sweet sweet treats, if you will, in it, mini cinnamon donuts, I, um, it, all, it all felt a bit um, gratuitous. Because I already had the sweets, you know. I, I, no, I understand a good little care package of Cadbury chocolate wafer. Mm. Um, now, on on the topic of food generally, Jack, I'm sitting here on my desk. I've got um, every month or so, I might go to Woolies and just buy myself something that I might work through or you know just feel like. Especially in lockdown, I've done it this year. I did it last year as well. I've got a I've got a box of mac and cheese on my desk, of which I've only had two packets in like the last. I bought it like over a month ago. And can I say, nowhere near as good as I remember it being as a kid. Like, that's why I've only had like two of them because I was like, oh, it's really I noticed the box great. of Easy Mac on your desk. Yeah. I, yeah. Look, it's another one of those things that, well, it's a bit of a f- fruit for the forest or fruit of the forest, I should say mm. for us. It's the forbidden apple where, yeah. now, how good did that forbidden apple taste? Really? Yeah. Was it just a lust and a lack of, you know, being told that you couldn't have it that made it taste yeah. so good? Yeah, I think A little so. bit of that for Easy Mac because like a lot of the sort of little treats that people were raised on, people with, um, you know, maybe slightly less strict regimes in the household, not that we were by any way, in any way raised by a strict there's regime. No, but yeah, there's no Nazism. Here, no, though. no, not, not, not even slightly. But like we would be more inclined to receive you know, chopped carrot and celery and a ham sandwich than Easy Mac for lunch. And I just, I do remember, as you say, people getting Easy Mac and I think loving it the one or two times I got to try it in the same way that I probably loved white bread in the one or two times we got that. Where now, if you put it in front of me, I don't want white bread. It tastes like shit. Like, it doesn't taste like anything. The same way if you gave me Easy Mac now um, or, um, I don't know, Skippy's. I'm not that fast. Like, they don't taste like anything. Perhaps oh, that's what like Easy Mac Skippies, was for you. Like. Well, Look, easy, well, Skippies, I'll admit, are bad, a bad example. example. In the same way that Burger Men would be a bad example because they taste unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there are examples out there. But the main thing with me and Easy Mac is it's just really bland, Jack. Like, it's really bland. And and, mm. and there's not, no real um, texture to it. Um, and you know me. I can... I can um, I can gorge on food, Jack, but uh, especially bad food. But this Easy Mac I bought over a month ago, 
eight packets in it. I've only had two. And what's so alarming is that show. that easy Mac would probably last for another eight to ten years if you left it there. Well, yeah. And as some of my friends will tell you, Jack, I can gorge on food that's not even doesn't even taste that good. Like um, uh, Harry sent when he, he's out of quarantine now. By the way, he's uh, enjoying the uh, the many wonders of Tasmania. But he was sending me photos of his food and saying to me, "Oh, you you eat this up, but I won't." Type of thing. Even even though it doesn't taste that good, and I was like, "Yeah, well, yeah." It's just it's just at the end of the day, it's not as good as I remember it being, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I, I, it's a tough one. I guess they make these sort of blander foods for the simpler palate you know they they really are angling at a certain you know a certain type of person when it comes to the easy mac well look, and unfortunately i feel like perhaps we've outgrown that particular palate well they're cheap and they're easy to make so hence well, the they're name. easy mac. so they're prob- exactly they're probably targeted to uh people who perhaps can't afford um uh more substantial tasty food but but it's I mean, I mean, it's got nutritional value in the fact that it's got energy in it. Like it's, it's got carbs. So, I mean, if you if you're not doing, if you're not very well off, and you if you wanted some quick and easy meals, then look, go ahead, buy Easy Mac. But if you're look after no further than Easy good, Mac, if you're after something that tastes good, I wouldn't be recommending it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Tick, I've been reading the paper a little bit the last. Um couple of days. I mean, I don't mind taking the occasional newspaper at home, um, but again, dear friend of the show, Kerry, dropped off a couple of papers for me uh, a couple of days ago that I've been perusing, and it's um, it's upsetting to say, I, or I was already kind of vaguely aware of this, but South Australia don't have their own broadsheet, um, and I did a little really? bit of reading into this. No city, I believe... I could be I, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think I am. I'm rarely wrong. I don't think any city in Australia other than Sydney and Melbourne have their own broadsheet anymore. Um, that, you know, all cities have the Australian, but um, which is a broadsheet, but it's not specific. Like like even here, I open up the Australian, and it's like you know there'll be a story on AFL, and then there'll be a story on you know Queensland politics, and then there'll be a story you know like yeah, it's, it's made for the everyman. It's made for the everyman in the every state, and it's obviously you know kind of centre right. Leaning, but um, it's not terrible. But um, yeah, TK. Every every, all of those major cities have their own tabloid. So Murdoch's got a News Corp paper. What's the big uh, News Corp tabloid in in South Australia? The Advertiser. Advertiser. Haven't heard of that one. The the Advertiser in in Adelaide. It's the like um, our Telegraph. The Telegraph in Sydney. The Courier Mail in um, Brisbane. So yeah, we've got um. The Sun Herald the, in, in the Sun Melbourne. Herald in Melbourne, yeah. So it's I think between the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, TK, there's not many um, city-specific broadsheets left. I don't know how interesting no. that is to the Birdlike Weekly listener, but um, it, it I don't know. It just was to me that you can't get a good broadsheet in the other cities. Interesting, perhaps not surprising. I don't think. No, I mean the death of the written word, <clears throat> very much incipient. But uh, yeah, there you go, TK. That's um. In case anyone was wondering, I know a few people wrote in and said, let us know about the state of play of broadsheets outside yeah. of the, you know, sort of two major metropolises, and there you go. Well, that, there's your answer, plain and simple. But the question I want to ask, Jack, is what's the uh, what's the political um, kind of scope of the, uh, of the newspapers you're reading? Is it, uh, is it as, as, uh, as starkly kind of right as the, uh, as the daily... Daily Telegraph and the Courier Mail can be, or is it? Well, it's more interesting. Kind of it's interesting relaxed. that you ask that, TK. So the Australian, as I said before, is kind of like an upmarket Telegraph in that the Australian has sort of proper articles from proper journalists. It's not kind of tabloid trashy, but it is right leaning. Like not, it's not like you know, it's not hard right or anything, but it is right of centre. The Australian, pretty well yeah, known to you'd be. Probably just call it a conservative. Yeah. yeah paper. Um, where. Obviously, the advertiser, the tele- the advertiser is very much the Telegraph, and so what you right. end up with is, is kind of funny. Is without a Herald, left leaning, or a Guardian, I would just call left paper to um, balance that. 
you end up having essentially two right of centre papers as the primary papers in the state. And what's funny is South Australia is known as a bit of a lefty state. Um, well, this is this is Kevin Rudd's whole gripe with um, Murdoch that they have a, not a not a total monopoly, but but that they are taking over in the sense that there isn't fair representation from both sides in in the written media. It's pretty close to mate. Like when, for example, when I had to do, when I've done in the past, when we've taken shows on the road and I've had to do like PR and stuff and talk to radio stations and um, uh, newspapers to try and get a little bit of press drummed up for whatever show it was at the time. I, um, I often found that it, you're almost always dealing with a, at news.com.au or a, at um, you know, News Corp email address. Like mm. every single one. Hardly ever are you dealing anymore with an at Fairfax uh, email address. Yeah. Even though Fairfax is owned by nine, they still retain those email addresses. So it's just interesting uh-huh. that um, like you call it a semi-monopoly. It's basically a monopoly. I mean, yeah. it's basically just, it's it's Murdoch mayhem out here. And it's funny you bring that up. I'm actually reading at the moment, again, for the, the listener of the show who's interested. I'm reading um, Erwin Steltz's The Murdoch Method at the moment. Um, it's a book that one Brent Pace, friend of the show, gave me uh, a couple of years ago now that I've only sort of just gotten gotten around to reading now. And it's uh, all about Rupert's method. Not a fan of Rupert, obviously, but the book it's, uh, is interesting. Interesting for an insight. Well, I asked you this the other day before you left home, actually. I said, obviously not a fan of what Rupert has done in terms of his influence and um, politically. Um and uh, how, you know, dangerous that can be. But I said, you've got to have, in terms of a businessman, you've got to have quite a bit of admiration for what he's been able to achieve. Rupert, um, one of the great risk takers, TK. Especially you... as an Australian. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. And an Adelaide man, I believe. Yeah, um, he is. He's from Adelaide, yeah. It's, yeah, it, oh, it's alarming some of the some of the risks even in the first sort of fifty pages or so that I've read the last hour. So that he uh, he's taken. I mean, he's um, he's how old was he when he when he founded News Corp? Well, I believe News Corp was a is a spin off of a company owned by his dad, right? Okay. Uh, and his dad was a media proprietor in South Australia. I don't think he was anywhere near. He wasn't, you know. He's still pretty self-made, like in the sense that his dad owned it. Might have, you know, might have run a paper or two. Well, um, but be, being being the the most influential man of the last, you know, fifty years, that's all self-made. Well, a lot of people, TK, and I probably share this view. If you can pick one person, a lot of people would call Rupert Murdoch. Maybe not right now, but certainly a couple of years ago, and for the last thirty years or so, the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. Well, he surely. How could he not be now? How could he surely not be now? Yeah. Surely now only, more than ever. The only reason I said maybe not now is because he's so old. Um, but yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, people have, have often said Murdoch is more powerful than the big four or five tech company CEOs and the, the president of the US and the prime minister of the UK uh, well, because I, he has re- so much stranglehold over influence. I read some list recently that said the most, the top, hundred most influential people of the 20th century and Hitler was one and Murdoch was two. So wow. there you go. Second to Adolf. Second to Adolf. And I think the world leaders of the big world leaders of the 20th century were all behind him, but also still in the top 10, obviously. But I think it's pretty incredible that he, he was never a politician, was never a, um, a public figure in that, in that sort of sense and was still, kind of behind the scenes able to do what he's done that's it's it's pretty incredible um obviously again still not condoning what he's been able to do in terms of uh in terms of election having influence dispro- and disproportionate like that. yeah representation for certain sides and his influence in elections that shouldn't be uh that's morally questionable but but yeah, yeah. it's a tough one Taker. it's a yeah, tough one it's a tough one not perhaps as morally questionable, though, TK, as the, I feel like it's been discussed already, and I'm turning quite swiftly here, but the 
fairly alarming Instagram post of one Tyrone May after oh. the grand final. I don't know if you've read it, but um, yeah, yeah, I have. I've seen it everywhere. Yeah, just bizarre, and I haven't heard it spoken about. But admittedly, as I told you, I haven't listened to any content or anything like that after post. It's been it's post been covered. Is all I'll say. But oh, uh, has it? Yeah. But for anyone that somehow hasn't seen it, he said that they threw dirt on his name and that the what dirt was a Drake quote, soil. Wasn't it? Yeah, the dirt turned into soil and he grew out of the soil and now what's you going to do type of thing? Like, what are you going to do now? It's like, yeah, well, no, mate. It was, it no was one of the on more you, bizarre – it was one of the more bizarre social media posts I've ever seen. Well, I think and it, was it was a was strange just... angle to take in when celebrating a grand final win. Well, I mean, a lot of people took the view that when celebrating a grand final that you had nothing to do with and if anything almost jeopardised by it. <laughs> In your, like, one of two touches, dropping the ball cold inside 20. Exactly, I, yeah. I, I do think it's weird, though, that the whole, just the stance in general was bizarre. For anyone who's not familiar, Tyron May convicted, uh, pled guilty and convicted to um, f- unconsensually filming uh, an intimate act. You can kind of figure mm. out what that means for yourself on more than one occasion. And then um, leaking in it. 2018. Himself. And then I, I believe the NRL stood him down for 2019 and then he came back last year and, you know, he's kind of fumbled around as a kind of a clunky, slow utility for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff floating around about his relationship with Nathan Cleary and the Clearys generally and why that may or may not be, uh, why he consistently found himself within the 17. Neither here nor there, though, TK, when I make the point that... I, when I read that, the dirt that you threw, the mud that you threw on my name and all this sort of shit and the cringy y'all... Like, I know he's quoting Drake, but, dude, we don't say y'all in Australia. Like, yeah, exactly. I know, I know that everyone seems to be getting aggressively into hip-hop now, and a lot of the leagueies, particularly the Penrith boys, love their 1-4 and shit, but, like... You're very much losing touch with the every when, with the every man in Australia when you start using words like y'all. We don't yeah, talk exactly. like that here. Exactly, um, yeah. But also the dirt that you threw on my name, dude. You are a a registered. I can't say this enough, Taker. I can't make this any clearer. You are a registered sex offender, yeah. like a registered sex offender who pled guilty to the sexual offence. Pled guilty. To the sexual events which you were later convicted of. It wasn't as if he said, no, "No." yeah, she consented. No, no, you knew. But what are are you talking about? That No one threw dirt on your name. You're a sex offender. What are you talking about? And people always turn around with these, well, you know, I don't think anyone has on this instance. But as I say, I haven't really listened to any commentary about this or read much about it in the last day or so. I've been kind of avoiding the league scape. But um, (laughs) people... People usually say like, oh, well, at some point, you know, we need to forgive people and give them a chance. And I agree with that. Even with nearly nearly the most heinous, heinous crimes, there's obviously the odd exception where you're like, geez, how could you ever get past that? But mm. like in order for that to happen, you need to show some A, remorse, B, some acceptance, and C, something that he and a lot of people don't seem to be able to show, some humility. You have to yeah. show some I fucked up, some I, I made a mistake. You can't come yeah. out with some arrogant Instagram post and expect that people are going to give you any kind of, you know, any kind of forgiveness. It's just madness. It's madness. Yeah. It's, and whoever's advising madness. him is is crackers. Why, when that didn't go up, Ivan Cleary or Cameron Seraldo or, um, oh, what's his name, Andrew Webster or anyone didn't see that and go, mate, take that down. Like, what yeah. are you doing? doing yeah. the people he's got in his corner obviously unbelievably questionable um and i just i i can't i can't stress this enough he is a registered <laughs> put it this offender. way put it this he's way. on the sex it, offenders registry put it this way it'd be more justifiable it would be more justifiable if george pell came out and said they threw dirt on my name you know what i mean <laughs> no but it with would the drake because he wasn't convicted no, but that's exactly right. If you if you want to stand by the fact that you didn't do, and anyone who comes out now, and this is this is what shits me guilty. as well, TK. Anyone who comes out now and drops a, and drops a, oh, there's two sides to every story. There's three sides to every story: his, hers, and the truth. Um, 
guess what? You should have pled not guilty then. If yeah. you think that your story was so ironclad and you think there were so two sides, like there were these, re- there was this real dichotomy and this real polarization of two sides of it, and mm. you can't judge me, plead not guilty then. Put you your have fucking a balls on yeah. the line. Exactly. Yeah. Plead not guilty. You pled guilty. You're a sex pest. You're a sex offender. No. Nobody threw dirt on your name, Tyrone. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what what was also alarming, TK, is that so many of the Penrith boys were in the comments section with the, my brother and the, we got them, bro, and all this shit. Like, so many of them in there, like, affirming him. Well, like, this is a really just, bad look for all of you guys. Like, a it, really bad look. And you're out of it, touch with reality. It shows a few things. One, they're young and they're immature. Two, they're dumb. <laughs> So it's it's a combination of their intelligence well, they've, and, they also, and their and their and their maturity. And I would throw another word in there too. Okay, a word that was bandied about about Penrith a lot this year. And this is not in any way a salty South supporter because I said to you after the game they were the better team on the night, and I was I was actually happy that they were not not to go overboard. But I was I was kind of I sat and had a bit of a reflection after the after mm. the game, and I went, you know what, I can't believe we only lost by two. We had like two sets in good ball. We got absolutely pumped through the middle, mm-hmm. um, and I Penrith were just so much better. Absolutely deserved to win, and and a lot of those guys, I'm happy that they could say that they won a grand final. You know, good on mm. them. But the word arrogant was bandied about a lot about Penrith this year, and if you wanted any kind of justification, if you were one of those people calling them arrogant, I wasn't. But if you want to, you want any kind of ratification of that belief look no further than the comments on that instagram like that is just the height of arrogance to think that your your guy was somehow you know duped by the legal system to which yeah. he pled guilty outrageous. in submission yeah outrageous absolutely outrageous but there you go that's 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 i don't even know how we got onto tyrone may but that is just no i don't know if you have any closing thoughts on that tk but no i i, I just agree i agree with you arrogant dumb on the back of that, a slightly less traumatizing but nonetheless dramatic story, TK. I don't know if you've heard the alleged damage to the Proven Summons trophy. Yeah, that was Indy Cleary. Supposedly, yeah, because someone took a screenshot of one of her friends or something. There were a few of their stories. There were two uh, Penrith players put stories up adding her. And also, well, she's allegedly dating Tyrone May. Did you not see that? Well, I saw the post that he put up, that they, the two of them put up, and it, yeah, I, I saw the story that was screenshotted and posted yeah. on, you know, one of the groups. And no offense to her, but she looks an awful lot like, like Nathan. She or does Nathan look like her? TK, it's tough to know. Yeah, um, I don't know, but anyway, invest informal investigation by the NRL has been launched into the damaging of the Proven Summers Trophy. Look, um, Yip and Yahoo party, do do your do your thing. But don't damage the trophy. Come on, have a bit of. There was a, a story strength. years ago of was it was it Laurie and Mal damaging the trophy? Apparently, the trophy gets damaged quite a bit, and then you yeah, but that just wasn't to, this trophy. No, but apparently, you just sort of have to return the. No, no, because this was in the Winfield Cup days. But I think yeah. this is. I think you just have to return the trophy in the state that you get it, and I'm under the. I I believe TK in defence of Penrith here. I think the trophy apparently gets damaged quite a lot, right. and we just don't hear about it because and then they all just of go those, and get it repaired and bring it back. Yeah, I think so. I think all of those, you know, you get it welded or whatever. All of those late night sessions with you know this old, <laughs> crusty trophy. Yeah. Could you imagine if they did that with the ashes? <laughs> the real Mate, ashes that doesn't it, leave it London wouldn't exist anymore. The the um, it wouldn't exist. The, the the thing would break. Like it's 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 like 150 years old, and and it's 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 like wobbly. Like like it's like lent to bent to one side, isn't it? <laughs> Could you imagine if we gave the Penrith boys a night to rip and tear with the uh, with the ashes. with the urn? Jesus! Oh my goodness! You'd never see it again. Well, I mean, you certainly see a different lot. Mm. Well, the speaking of the ashes, fantastic news out of London. Um, Joe Root said he was going, so the ACB have decided they're coming. It sounded like we were very much at the eleventh hour when that occurred. TK, I don't know if you got well, any further insight f- there. From what I'd heard from the from the uh, the UK press, um, it wasn't going to happen. 
certainly wasn't going to happen this summer. But then out of nowhere, we got a confirmation. So lovely to hear, Jack. But it said, I, I read this morning, uh, this was an article from this morning that said they will come, but on strict conditions. Now, I didn't say the strict condition. It didn't say the strict conditions, but I'm assuming it would be something to do with we don't want to quarantine or at least not for two weeks. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Look, I stand on the side of logic, Jack. I think, I think, um, I think we're right to have as many rules in as we can because uh, we want to stay ahead of other countries and we want to get out of this as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is to keep rules harsh now so that they can't, they won't be later. But logic has to come in at some point where the rules aren't, where, where the rules don't make any sense. You know, we've been eviscerated by the UK press saying that we're. Um, where uh, our rules are confusing and cruel and this and that and whatever. And I do agree with that to some extent, whereas they were talking about the UK, uh, the, the, the English cricket team, how most of them would be over in the UAE for the T20 World Cup um, uh, before, in a bubble before, just before the Ashes, so starting this month, and that they would have been tested almost on the daily, again, in a bubble in that kind of isolation They'd be tested before they got on the flight. They'd be tested when they get off the flight. They don't. Ha- they won't have COVID. Like, like they'll be. It'll be so secure. There, there will be no need to keep them in quarantine for an extra fourteen days when they arrive here. Especially given the fact that they're all double vaccinated as well. So, at the end of the day, you've got to. The common sense has to come in there at some point. And it seems like leaders of our country, in some circumstances, aren't willing to to use common sense. Um, I think well, a lot of people be. are worried about creating the double standard of what one rule for all, you know, like rules for some. I think, though, TK, that as you're saying there, the added responsibility of having a nation on your back, TK, I think that um, it's horses for courses. I, I think I think you've got to have rules for, in this instance, exceptions for certain groups of people. And as you say... If they've been tested seven times or however many times it is and they've done some sort of essentially isolated period in a different country and they're all double vaxxed, they don't have it. Like, let's rock and roll the tape. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I would certainly hate to see it after we've been given this little glimmer of hope. I would certainly hate to see it um, thwarted now, particularly because of the, uh, the mind games, the chatter that's already being worked up between one Tim, Tim Payne and the Barmy Army. And I've got to say, Tim Payne, from what I've read, TK, very much losing that yeah. battle early. He's embarrassing himself a little bit, which is not what we want. We, we don't want Well, that. he came we out and said something along the lines of, because they the Barmy Army came out and said that if Joe Root scores 80 more runs than Tim Payne, He'll have scored yeah. more runs in the calendar year than Tim Payne has in his entire career, which is obviously a yeah. little bit of a straw man argument because Joe Root is the best batsman in the country that invented cricket and Tim Payne is the wicketkeeper who has played yeah, or, far yeah, less also, tests in the country also, that is the best at cricket. Also, so, how many t- also, how many tests have England played this year? Like, a lot. No, of, of, of course. All of those... All, it's all built up... My, what I'm building this up for, TK, is the entire thing was built up for a ripping Tim Payne retort. Mm. And instead, I think he came back with something along the lines of, I've I've scored more test runs than the Barmy Army. Yeah. To which they replied, <laughs> both us and Tim have the same amount of test centuries. Zero, yeah. So how you could lose the unlosable argument by getting turkey-slapped Verbally, that is twice. Mm. Uh, it doesn't bode well for the country that is supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be the best at chirping, TK. <laughs> yeah, we're and so to be far the, we're, the we're off on the wrong foot. Well, we're off on the wrong foot. Let's not let's not um, let's not mince words. We're off on the wrong foot. I am glad that Steve Smith, Stephen Peter Devereux Smith, the best since Bradman, isn't currently the Test captain because. I feel like if Tim's embarrassing himself with his choice of words, then Uncle Uncle Steve yeah. would be. I mean, he'd be butchering things in a in a in a in an even worse way. But in a lovable way, probably. He's cute. He's. I feel like he just wouldn't be retorting Steve Smith. 
Well, he's so on the spectrum, isn't he? I mean, he'd probably be in the nets. There's no time. Yeah. There's no time for retorting when you're never within vocal distance of a microphone. You're yeah. already. You're always. You're always just front foot and pills in the yeah. nets. Or just watching his watching his uh, the stock price of his Bed Bath and Beyond or whatever it is, or Koala mattresses. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, doesn't he have a ridiculous? large stake in uh, koala mattresses. I believe he's the angel investor in koala mattresses. Right. Yeah, and he's explain yeah, explain angel worth, investor. Well, he the, was the uh, you know he he was essentially the um, the big fish that they got to bankroll the project essentially, uh-huh. and so he has made something like I believe it's somewhere in the vicinity of thirty million dollars on koala mattresses. Speaking of which. Uh, Angel investors, I, I mean, and it's not quite exactly that. But going back to Murdoch, I heard that News Corp inserted, uh, I think, fifty million into the into the Redcliffe Dolphins to help them secure the pro- secure the, the the team. Can I just ask why is it that they are? Why is the NRL? Why do they insist on baiting us with that? With so with? Do you know what annoys me about league? TK is in no other sport that I'm aware of. Do you have so many news articles uh, in which something is forecasted to happen, and then forecasted, but in a more imminent sense, about to happen? And then we hear that it's actually happened. And then we hear that something is signed and now it's officially happened. And by the time that we get the official announcement, it's like, yeah, we all knew that six we months ago. We knew that a year ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah, we knew that Tyron Peachy was coming to the Tigers. We don't need to see 50 signatures, like 50 announcements of it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just, and it happens with it happens with everything. Like, for example, why is it happening now with the, with the, with the expansion club? We know it's going to be Redcliffe. Like yeah. how many articles have we seen over the last six months? And now yeah, there was an official announcement section. the other day, uh, breaking the NRL green lights expansion team. Wonder who it'll be. We know. We yeah, already exactly. knew that they've done that, and we already know yeah. it's going to be Redcliffe. Like, I, saw, I saw that on I saw that on uh, NRL on nine the Facebook page. Yeah, they posted. Oh, they've green lighted the expansion team. Which of the three will it be? And someone just commented, Redcliffe. Worst kept secret in the NRL. We already know that. We like, already yes. know. It's we know ridiculous. because we know the specific numbers that were put forward in their argument. And they the said, other they two said it'll be nowhere near viable. Will be the coach. Yeah. We know, and Munster's probably going to go and be the captain. We like we. Yeah. <laughs> nobody doesn't know this. Yeah. So exactly. why do we do this drip feeding of information and keep and, and act as if we can get ten news stories out of it? I think it's because um, there's actually not that much information going around, so they're kind of just everyone's jumping on the same stuff. And then eventually when it comes out, it's like, well, that was one of the only three things that was a talking point in the last few weeks. So yeah, there you go. No, I think I think um, you hit the nail on the head there. I, um, a bit of <laughs> AFL news here, TK. I've seen this pop up on the ABC in the last couple of hours. Some blokes lost a bet and he's had to get a Max Gorn tattoo on his body. Um, I can't tell what part of his body, but on some hairless part, it might be his bum. Um, following the D's emphatic uh, drought-breaking grand final win a couple of weeks ago, uh, Matt Gorn—I got to say the, the 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 tattoo of Max is particularly realistic and very lifelike. Yeah. Well, the artist has done an exceptional job. Yeah. If you just Google that story, it'll probably pop up in I some will. capacity. Or I think if you go on ABC Grandstand's Facebook page, listeners, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's um, yeah. I mean, they've just nailed the beard and the. the the sort of shape of his bald head, um, and even just his sort of soft boy next door sort of demeanor. Um, oh yeah, they have too. Yeah, they've yeah, done that's a great very job. realistic. Shout out to all the uh, tattoo artists out there. I mean, I would have preferred. Oh my god, you're kidding! You are kidding! I've looked up Max Gorn tattoo, and one of the things that's come up on Google Images is a bloke who has Jack five tattoos, all of them. A different incarnations of the Melbourne Demons logo. One of them's the eighties one. Oh He's no! Got a tattoo of the bearded demon on his chest. Hang on, I'll Google it in a minute. Four others. You uh, you chat, you chat through those while I go to the loo. Okay. Well, we've already we've already spoken about it last week. But what I want to ask is, for any listeners, um, call in or message us. What's a tattoo you'd be a tattoo you'd be willing to get on your body? Because I feel like it's a um, it's a thing that comes down to passion. Um, 
And it's the thing that comes down to, uh, well, something you'd be willing to have on your body for your rest of your life. I mean, I, I saw someone put on, uh, uh, get get a get a, a Panthers 2021 premiers lo- uh, written on their body before Panthers had even won. Now that's ballsiness. I mean, it's ballsy to even get a get a tattoo, but to get that etched onto your body, essentially, essentially for eternity. Well, for your eternity. That is um. That takes some nerve. I, I, I don't know if personally I'd had ever anything that I'm so passionate and so so uh, it's so clear in my head that I'll never veer from having passion for that thing that I could get a tattoo of. Um, because again, it, it's a matter of that as well. It's got to be something you're sure that you won't regret having there and that you, that you like in 50 years time, someone might go, oh, what's that? Oh, it's like, oh, it's, it's something that I used to be passionate about, but, but I no longer give a shit about like uh, Easy Mac because, oh, look, I might have gotten an Easy Mac tattoo back when I was 10. Would I get one now? No, it's bland. It's quite clearly bland. Yeah, Michael Jackson didn't do it. And then, you know, five years <coughs> later, new information comes to light. Ooh, can't afford the laser. Oh, mate, how many people out there would have MJ tattoos on them? Yeah, 100%. You need to wait until all evidence has come to light to suggest that that man is not... A child sex offender. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're talking about in perpetuity there because yeah. new info could come to light at any time. It really about could. anyone or anything. About like what anyone if Jack, or anything. What if, what, if, what if, for example, you got a South Sydney tattoo and it comes out that South was some sort of, uh, had like some sort of sex trafficking ring and that was like, <laughs> that was like the basis for their for the organization. They didn't care too much about the footy. Like you'd go, oh shit, I don't want to be associated with this club anymore. Too bad. It's on your body. <laughs> You're part <laughs> of it. Yeah, exactly. These are the risks that the, the, the tattooed among us take, take, and you have to almost respect them for it. Mm. Um, I'm certainly oh, yeah, not going to be... I'm not going to be inking up anytime soon. I told you the other day, I saw... Um, I wonder if the listeners may or may not be interested in this. I watched um, the American remake of the Danish film The Guilty the other day on Netflix. Um Worth a watch if anyone's got an hour and a half to spare. And I remember telling you, TK, might have even been yesterday when we spoke, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that that film was shot in quarantine. It's kind of like a bottle film. It's more or less shot entirely within like a 911 call centre. Jake Gyllenhaal, pretty much the only character on screen with, with the exception of a couple of sort of very, very minor parts and everything else we hear via, um, we hear via telephone call. Mm-hmm. The director was in contact with someone. They shot it in October last year. The director, Antoine Fuqua or whatever, was in contact with someone who had had COVID like a day before they went to start shooting. And so that they couldn't reschedule their shoot because everything, all of the calls, I didn't tell you this, all of the calls that they did, so when he's on the phone, they're all done live. All of them are done live. So the people are on Zoom, like having the other side of the conversation when he's doing it which is insane. Oh, and um, Yeah, and they must have just rolled it from like three different angles and stuff. And um, the director, though, because he was in contact with someone, they couldn't reschedule because all these all these people who were kind of doing the, the minor parts of being like a phone call voice or whatever, they're all, they're all gen- legit actors who were doing favours to Jake Gyllenhaal and stuff. And so <laughs> what they did was they bought this van that had like monitors and shit in it and they sat the van on the street parked and the director sat in the van and watched on monitor screens in the van directed the entire thing from on the street outside the building where they shot it all and there's like photos of Jake Gyllenhaal and the director like like having like a conversation from a distance with like the director standing on the street level and Jake Gyllenhaal standing on the first floor on a ba- or second floor on a balcony or whatever it's just insane Crazy. to think oh, it's insane Crazy. The nuance required to direct a, a big film like that, I mean, it's, it's a small cast, but even something even something that's small and just kind of made for digital release on Netflix, it's crazy to think that someone could direct that watching on a screen, you know, 100 metres away on the street and talking through walkie-talkie or whatever. Insane. Oh, uh, admirable. Admirable dedication to craft there. So a little recommendation to anyone and who's the, interested. And adaptability. Of course. Now, just to something I want to add before we end, Jack, is uh, Squid Game. Uh, everyone's talking about it at the moment. I'm assuming 
I'm assuming a lot of the listeners would have seen it. It is so good. Um, I, I watched it in one night. Um, all nine hours of it or whatever. Um, it's just it's just phenomenal. That's that's all I have to say. I can't can't recommend it enough. Um, but I, 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 I again dare say a lot of people have probably already seen it. But firm yeah. recommendation. You watched all nine hours in one night. Yeah. Sue me. Man, that's insane. What time did you start and what time did you end? Were there breaks in between or no? Not really. I just kind of marathoned it. Like I, I started at like six PM maybe and then yeah. How much would you say percentage wise was dub and how much was subtitle? I moved between the two. Uh, I'm going to say 70%. No, 60% subtitle, 40% dub. Uh, the, the one issue I have with the dubbing is um, the melodramatic acting. Like, I feel like this is always the case when, when you have like Asian productions that are dubbed by American actors. For some reason, they, for some reason, they talk really weirdly like they, they talk over the top uh, oh my this god weird, you go, ah, ah. there's this like, weird almost talking like that yeah it's almost like a, it's kind of racist like they just assume that all Japanese and Korean people are super dramatic yeah even like, though the you need to match it well you can it's weird when you can tell by their facial expression that that's not how they're talking like it's just like what <laughs> it's like <laughs> crazy um but but as I said to you yesterday Jack I feel like um you have to put that extra little bit of effort in if you're if you're reading the subtitles, and that's why when I was getting a bit more tired, or I um just wanted to change it up a bit, I'd put the dub on just so I could relax a bit more and just soak in the um the cinematography. Um, I think the best way to appreciate it, I was thinking about this the other day because you were talking about like the payoff between the fact that it's not quite dramatically as true to story and form if it's the dub, but you've <clears> got to concentrate harder, and you might actually miss things if you're reading the subtitles yeah i was thinking about this the best way would be if you knew and understood native korean yeah i think that is probably true um but i'm not going to go learn korean just to watch this show although if you put in the amount of effort to learn korean as you did in watching that show across one night concentrated across a say year-long period you'd probably be pretty good at it look probably but then I'd be able, well, then I'd be able to go and watch and understand Korean film and TV, um, which I believe there is. There's a lot of very, very good, good, well, uh, the Oscar, good stuff they? out there. Parasite, a couple of years. Parasite ago. won like just fuckload of Oscars. Like, it won, it won most of the big ones, didn't it? Sure did. Sure did. Yeah. Haven't seen that. Anyway, have not seen that. But enough about us, TK. If you enjoyed the episode of the BirdLife Weekly Podcast, guys, make sure you subscribe. Um, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, Google Play, wherever it is you listen to us. TK, um, go in peace. To love and serve serve the Lord. Lord. No, I will. I will. And I'll try and work my way through this packet of easy note. I am now going to make like a banana and split. (laughs) He got it.